Brother Jim, I was thinking when you had to start over a time or two, I've said before that <clears throat> I don't mind speaking in front of 10 million people, but I don't want to lead a song service in front of one person. Uh, but the advantage that you have is <laughs> you get to start over if you mess up. So I, I wish preaching was a little bit like that. You get a little bit into it, and you're like, you know what, let's just throw that away and let's just start again. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, so that's one disadvantage that the preacher has. And I, I do ask that you'll pray for us. You know, if you're ever critical of a preacher, which I'm, you know, if you're human, you probably have been from time to time, you ought to come try it sometime uh, to stand up Sunday after Sunday and try to um, rightly divide God's word and, and to keep the attention of a congregation and to feed the congregation and do all that at the same time uh, without looking like some sort of buffoon when you're doing it. It's, it's not easy, and we definitely need um, the Lord and his help and your prayers. This morning, I want to talk to you. I want to start with a verse in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. And I want to take a uh, verse 25 is where I want to start. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 25. And it reads like this. It says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And that's kind of an interesting verse um, because there is no foolishness with God. But the, uh, Paul, as he writes to the church of Corinth here, is just trying to paint a picture for mankind of just how uh, weak and feeble and uh, silly-minded and absent-minded uh, and confused that we can actually be. And if so uh, it would be like saying to, to you the, the dumbest thing that I have ever done is smarter than the smartest thing that you've ever done. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's an insult, really. But he's not saying it to insult man. He's saying it to elevate the Lord. Saying that if God were foolish, and if God were to do foolish things, the most foolish thing the Lord could ever do would be wiser than the wisest thing we would ever do. And that shows you a great separation between God and man. Now, when I read that verse, that, that tells me this, that there is, some, there is something flawed about us. There's something that doesn't quite operate correctly with us. We do not think correctly. We don't process correctly. We don't always uh, make the decisions that we ought to make. And if there is an, an, a power whose foolishness is wiser than my wisest day, I think I would rather that entity, that power guide me than me make the decisions myself. Does that make sense? And I think the Lord knowing that, why do you think the Lord, back in the Old Testament, why do you think he gave the, the, the Israelites the law? Why do you think he said, okay, here is the path you should go, the, the way you should act, the way you should speak. This is, this is the, the template. Here you go. This is what I want of you. Why do you think he did that? It's because we're not smart enough to figure all that out on our own. We have too much, uh, uh, our, our wicked hearts guide us too much and it's too influential over us. And, and so if the Lord said, okay, you're my people, a chosen people, a peculiar people, and I've pulled you out of Egypt and, and, and you're my special people, now y'all figure it all out. Well, can you imagine? Well, we see, we see glimpses of that. 
when they tried to figure it all out. You remember when Moses went up into the mount and they're like, okay, he's gone and he's not coming back. And so what did they do? They said, let's just figure this out ourselves. And so they take all the jewelry that the Egyptians gave them when they left Egypt and they melt it all down and they make a false god. It took them no time to mess it up. So if my wisdom is less than the foolishness of God, I want to do, thing, do things God's way. Now, sometimes God's way, <clears throat> let me say this before I say that. You got to be careful when you're submitting yourselves to doing things God's way. You got to be careful and that you truly know what God's way is. Because the Bible tells us in, I think it's 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, that, or the 1 Corinthians maybe, that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. And it says, and so it's no big thing that if his ministers, his, his disciples, talking about the devil's disciples, the devil's apostles, if the angel masquerades as an angel of light, that they can too. Now, that tells me this, that oftentimes one of the tactics that Satan uses is to mimic God, to present something that feels like God. It sounds spiritual, but all the while it is actually something that is against God's way. So you can't just say, you can't just submit to somebody that says, hey, the Lord, the Lord's way is this way. You've got to check that out. Amen. You've got to, to vet that out, if you will, and scrutinize over that and make sure that that's the Lord's way. Um, I, uh, there, there are books out there. There are podcasts out there. There are sermons out there that all are presented under the banner of this is God and this is what he says and this is his way and it's nothing what God's way actually is so if we do not I can't stress to you the importance of having just an intimate relationship with God's word because if you know this book it is going to be very hard for somebody to come along as an angel of light and lead you astray but if you don't know this book, you're just you're, you're a sitting duck, as they say, a very easy target. I don't want to be a sitting duck. I want to be a flying duck going 90 miles an hour with the wind. I want to be hard to hit. So scrutinize over it. Now, God's way. God's way to you at times may seem foolish. God's way to you may not seem very logical. It may not seem easy and convenient and it may be that God's way is embarrassing to you and I'm going to get to example, some examples here in a minute so if God is wiser infinitely wiser than I am I want to submit to his way I need to know what that way is I need to understand that the devil is going to try to convince me that the devil's way is actually God's way and God's way is not always going to be uh, just a walk in the park. Now, when I sat down and thought about this, I just thought about the most glaringly obvious 
things in our lives where you can see God's way compared to the world's way. And one of the first things I thought about was marriage. Now, God designed marriage. We know that. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, you probably are thinking, well, you know, the, the, uh, the rulings of, you know, homosexual marriages. And certainly that's an issue. I'm talking about marriage between a man and a woman. The world's way is presented something like this. If, if you love somebody and, and you go off and get married and you go along for a while and, uh, you know, things just don't really seem to be going like you want them to and you're just not quite uh, as happy as you think you ought to be, just divorce. Now, listen, I know that's a word nobody likes to hear is divorce, but it's a real thing. Divorce has affected every single family in this congregation, I would imagine. I'm very thankful that my parents have been married a, a long, long time. My Tiffany's parents have been married a long, long time. But I did not have one set of grandparents that were not affected by divorce, which means my parents were affected by divorce, which means I was affected by divorce. And so divorce is a real thing. We all experience it. And <clears throat> don't misunderstand me. I'm not here to... To, to talk to you about divorce this morning, my, my point is simply this. The world will tell you, throw in the towel whenever you get ready to throw the towel in. That's the mentality. But that's not God's way. Amen. Now, God gave us some measures in the Bible where it is appropriate to divorce someone. He made provision for us for that. When these circumstances happen, divorce is okay in His sight. What does it say, I think, in Mark, the 10th chapter, it says that Moses suffered, suffered you. He didn't like it. He permitted it just to keep things from exploding. But he said he suffered you to divorce. He says, but from the beginning, it was not so. He created them male and female. And the Bible says what God has joined, let no man put asunder. That's God's way. And I'm not telling you if you've, done, if you've gone through that and there's repentance that God cannot restore and bless. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just telling you the general idea of marriage today is that just hang in there as long as you want to and then if you become unhappy, just leave. Well, that's the world's way. People would say it's illogical. It's silly to stay here in this marriage when neither one of us are really all that happy. Now look, I can't say this without at least putting this plug in there. Young people, before you say I do, you need to spend an infinite amount of time in prayer and seeking godly counsel. Amen. Not the counsel of the people your age. Amen. The counsel of people who are older and wiser and have been there. So you don't find yourself in a situation where you've got to choose between happiness and God's way. Because if you've got to make that choice... Almost without fail, people are going to choose to be happy and forsake God's way. Don't put yourself in the position. Scrutinize over that. What about uh, just the, in general the roles of men and women? The, you know, there's a, a, a men, men and listen, men and women are equal, but they're very different. 
and, and, and they, they have different emotions and they have different abilities. They're equal, but they are not the same. And this movement of, you know, I, I am a female, but I'm going to try to do every single thing that a man can do as good as a man can do it. And I don't even I don't even need a man in my life. That's not God's way. You know, it, it really, it, and I'm sorry if, if, if you know, if, if this offends you, it really just burns me when I see these, these women say, I'm going to do this as, just as good as this man can do it, and, and I don't care who can stop me. That bothers me. God did not create us to be able to do all the same things to an equal measure. He created us different. Now listen, there are things that women can do way better than men, and vice versa. But we've tried to confuse those gender roles. And, you know, you, you hear about the, you know, back in the day, the, the women's liberation movement where they would say, we don't need men. But listen, men need you. You hear me? Men need you. Look, there is no question that if I fall over dead right now, there is not one single thing and in, in my family's life and the things that we do, there's not one thing that Tiffany can't do if she figures it out and works. And st- she is as capable as anybody I've ever met. So in a sense, you could say she doesn't need me in that aspect. But guess what? I need her. I need her because I can't do the things that she does. And that's why God created a woman because it was not good for man to be alone. He created her. He, he created him a help meet, a helpmate, somebody fit to assist him and connect with him because he can't do it by himself. If women, if you say you don't need men, well, I'm sorry, we need you. But society says that's not the way it is, that men and women should be perfectly equal on every single stage. Now, if you've looked at any kind of sports articles lately, you'll realize that's not true. Because even the boys who try to disguise themselves as girls dominate the girls because they're not equal on those stages. God created men and women to be different. Don't let the world tell you otherwise. I could go more into gender. I could certainly go into church. God's way of what church is. Listen, I'm going to give you a a newsflash here. You are not here this morning to be entertained. You are not here this morning to have fun. You are here this morning to be fed as a flock of sheep coming to a shepherd to get something to sustain you. That's why you're here. That is why God designed church. I had somebody tell me a couple weeks ago, they had somebody leave the church. And I said, why did they leave? They came to me and said they just wanted more. What's the problem with that? That is a very self-centered focus about what church is supposed to be. This is not about you needing more. This is about God. This is about His worship that we come to Him. And this is about maybe in the midst of these sermons that you're going to hear, the songs that you're going to hear, you're going to find something that you can sink your teeth into that when the devil comes after you on Wednesday morning that you've got a sharper sword than you had before you came. It is not about you having fun. But the world says, let's make it just fun and more fun and more fun. And next thing you know, you've got a diluted down gospel, a diluted picture of God and nothing but entertainment. 
That's the world's way. This is God's way. I saw something the other day where somebody said, we all should be able to just worship how we want to worship. Well, I'm sorry, that's not biblical. Ask Nahab and Abihu, who offered a strange fire to God because they thought, well, it's, it's God. As long as we're worshiping God, it's fine. Here's some strange fire. And he struck them down. The world's way says worship, however, but God has a way that he wants to be worshiped. I don't want you to love me however you want to love me. I want to be loved the way I receive love. Does that make sense? Yes. You can come up to me, and if you come up to me and you kiss me on the cheek, every time you see me, I'll be like, get away. I don't want you kissing me on the cheek. That's not how I receive love. God wants to be worshipped in a certain way, and I've got to get rolling. Now listen, let me show you a little place in the Bible here about God's way. 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. I'm going to go fast. <clears throat> Second Kings, the fifth chapter. We read about a man named Naaman who is a leper. He's not a poor beggarly leopard. He is a great, honorable, mighty man of valor in Syrian's army. He is a big dog, but he has leprosy. Now, it's interesting to me that if you read about the Hebrews, they had laws of leprosy. But he is not a Hebrew. He is a Syrian. The laws that we read about in Leviticus, about uh, the way lepers are supposed to be, this didn't apply to him. He's just living his day-to-day -day life as a leper. Who knows how many people he contaminated. Now, <clears throat> he, his wife has a servant, a little handmaid, a young girl that knows about Naaman's leprosy. And he says to his wife, he says, I wish that Naaman could get with the prophet that is in Israel, who is Elisha. And Elisha would recover him of this leprosy. And so the king of Syria finds out about it and says, hey, this is my right-hand man. This is Naaman. This is the captain of my guards. I'm going to write a letter to the king in Israel and send it over there. And I'm going to send Naaman and I'm going to send all kind of money and all kind of goods. And we're going to go over there and we're going to find this guy and we're going to see if we can get our, uh, our uh, friend healed. And I don't have time to go into it. I wish I could paint you a picture of all that had to take place in order for this to happen. I, I wish I could talk to you about the hope that Naaman must have had if he had an incurable disease. If you have found out you've got terminal cancer and you hear about somebody that has come up with a shot that will cure you, how much hope do you have? It's, a, it's out of the roof. You got to put yourself in Naaman's shoes here. He is going to a man that it is his only hope and he goes 13 days, a 13 days journey from where he is in Damascus to where Elisha is. And it says, so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now imagine you've got the terminal cancer. And you go to the hospital or to the doctor's office and they sit you in a waiting room and the next, you know how you sit in a waiting room, you sit there and it's quiet and you're looking around and you're waiting and you're quiet and you're waiting on that little knock in them to open up. He's at, he's at Elisha's door and he's, he's hoping that door opens and here we go. 
And Elisha doesn't even come to the door. It says Elisha sent a messenger unto him. Now, if you open that door opens and you're expecting to see the doctor and the janitor walks in and says, uh, here's, here's the shot. You're like, no, 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 no. I need to see the doctor. Elisha sends a messenger to the door. And this is what the messenger says. Go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth. He was angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought. I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. Not a little bit upset. A rage. He's throwing a fit. I bet he was kicking stuff and slinging stuff and there's no telling what kind of words he was saying. Why? Because Naaman wanted to do it his own way. This is, notice it says, Naaman said, I thought, well, this is how I thought this ought to go. I thought I would come. I thought Elisha would come to the door. I thought he would wave his hands around and he would strike the ground and he would call on the name of the Lord and he would recover me and that'd be it. I thought that's how this should go. You see, what's Naaman's problem? Naaman doesn't want to do it God's way. Well, Naaman, you can just keep being a leper then. Think about, think about marriage. Think about relationships. Think about all those types of things. If you don't want to do it God's way, well, just get used to being unhappy. Just get, get used to being miserable. Get used to being frustrated. That's where Naaman's at because he doesn't want to do it God's way. But praise God, he has got some bold enough servants to stand there and say, listen, they say, my father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith, wash and be clean? It's like, Naaman, what are you doing? We came 13 days over here. We've got all this stuff. We've had letters written. This has been a big ordeal. And all he said do was go right over there and wash. Why won't you do that? Why won't you do it God's way? If you don't have some friends surrounding you that are determined to encourage you to do things God's way, find some. Do you hear me? Find you some friends who are just determined and passionate about doing things God's way because one day you're going to be standing there saying, why do I have to go do this? Can I go to the rivers in Damascus? Can I go over there and wash and just do things my way? Or can't you just come out and do this, that, and the other? Can I just marry this person and just be happy like everybody else is? Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I just do it this way? And if your friends say, why? Do it this way. God, the, the commandments of God are not grievous. Go wash in that Jordan. And it says he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Why did Naaman come up out of that water the seventh time with skin like a baby? Because he did it God's way. 
the world's way will only ever lead you to ruin. Now that does not mean that there will be times that you do it your own way and you may have a season of thinking, hey, I beat the system. It will always come to ruin. Always. When you don't do things God's way. But now God's way will give you victory. Notice this. God's way gives you victory in spite of your circumstances. You think about, let me leave you with this. In 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. This is the chapter about Paul's thorn that he has. And he seeks the Lord three times that the Lord might take the thorn from him. And the Lord tells him, and says, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says this. He says, most gladly, therefore, which means because of that, because your strength is made perfect in my weakness, in weakness, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He didn't say, okay, well, I'll just deal with it and I'll just endure it and I'll just, I'll make it your God and you do what you want to do and I'll just make it. Paul said, no, well, if that's the case, if you are magnified when I am made low, then I'm going to rejoice in my own infirmities. You see, doing things God's way means we can find that joy and peace that passes all understanding in spite of our circumstances. So I leave you with this. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. There is so much separation between God and, and us. His thoughts are not our, our thoughts and His ways are not our ways. They're so much higher. It would be a smart thing to do to let Him guide and to let Him lead and let Him lay your paths out. Do your friendships, your marriages, your business, your prayer life, your church life. All those things, you need to focus on doing it God's way. You need to find people that will encourage you to do it God's way. Trusting that even if things don't pan out like I want them to, that His grace is sufficient. Let me give you one example here. You may be waiting on a spouse. And you wait. And you wait. And you wait. And you refuse to settle and get married just for the sake of getting married so you can keep up with everybody else that's getting married so you can get on down the road and get your uh, white picket fence and your family and do it. And you say, I'm not going to do things the world's way. I'm going to do things God's way. And that spouse may never come. But you can still find joy in doing it God's way as opposed to doing it the world's way and almost guarantee you to go into misery. I hope that's been profitable to you and please pray for Brother Tim.